Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today, George Plaster of Nashville Sports Radio. This episode presented by the Well Coffee House, which is a Nashville area coffee house that provides fresh roast coffee along with house-made pastries, breakfast, and lunch offerings. There are four locations to serve you in the Nashville area. Those are Brentwood Green Hills downtown and in Bellevue. More information can be found at wellcoffeehouse.org, the Well Coffee House where coffee changes lives. We thank our co-presenting sponsor, Wellspire, Nashville's Learning and Development Center, which is located in the Gulch. The news is presented by Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in any type of accident, give Taylor or Russell a call at 615-846-6200 to see what your rights are and if they can help. Vanderbilt loses its conference home opener in men's basketball on Saturday, falling to Texas A&M by a 69-50 score, but that's not the worst of it. Aaron Neesmith, who is the country's fifth leading scorer and leading three-point shooter, is probably lost for the season, nothing official yet, but Neesmith has a stress fracture in a foot, and it sounds like he will miss the remainder of the season. Our guest line is presented to you by Bolin Branch, started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. I've slept on their sheets for years, and they are phenomenal. Had no clue what I was missing until I got them. These are fair trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women, treated and paid fairly. Try them free for a month. You can return them, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the Mass Mattress of 2018. Go to BolinBranch.com. That is spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code VANDY and get $50 off your first set of sheets. George Plaster joins us now. George, thank you for being with us today. At what is a busy time as the Titans have suddenly gotten hot and become the story of this town. Yeah, how about that? I, I, I'm like a lot of people. I never quite saw this coming. I knew they were better, you know, in November and December. It was obvious that the change to Ryan Tannehill made all the difference in the world. He's a much more accurate passer than Marcus. The threat of the deep ball has suddenly returned. You know, when they got up 14 nothing at Baltimore on the 50-yard touchdown pass, that's a play I don't think they would have even called with Marcus. And the other benefit from all of this is that I think Derrick Henry – has got more lanes to maneuver in and you know what what he's getting done is just unbelievable he's a just a wrecking ball and uh it's pretty cool that uh you know that he's representing nashville and the titans yeah their offensive line has suddenly gotten a lot better too it seems yeah i i'm i'm kind of with watson that um you know once they got the big guy back after the suspension um, all of a sudden things started to gel little by little. I think Tannehill gets the ball out quicker. He's more decisive, and that has also helped their offensive line a bunch. Where do the Predators go in this landscape? Because that has taken a crazy turn, and now with the coaching change, I don't think any of us know where that's headed. And by the way, we are going to talk Vanderbilt sports, but I know a portion <laughs> of our audience <laughs> enjoys both those teams as well. Well, the bad news is that the Preds have dug themselves a little bit of a hole. 
the good news is that I would claim that they're a four to five game winning streak away from, you know, being at the line right on the edge of getting in the playoffs because of the kind of start they've had. The goal simply needs to be to get in the playoffs. And this is too good a team. There's too much talent in their locker room. I don't pretend to know what had gone on. I do know that they had tuned Laviolette out. And I have thought this for a long time. This is not something that, for me, uh, came on, you know, recently. I thought as, as early as March of this year in the 2018-19 season that they were tuning him out. There were too many nights where I would leave the arena as a season ticket holder and go, what is going on down there? Uh, you know, they're just – Whatever it was, it was starting to get bad. And I applaud David Poyle for making the change. I still think Peter Laviolette's a good coach. I would classify him as one of these law of diminishing returns kind of deals that the longer he is at a place, the less, you know, the less people listen to him. Yeah, that happens. I mean, Billy Martin was the quintessential example, I think, probably from my childhood in terms of coaches that were that way. But, boy, George, speaking of holes, uh, Vanderbilt basketball right now, my goodness. I mean, it was not pretty anyway, and now Aaron Neesmith, I'm guessing, has played his last game at Vanderbilt. Yeah, I kind of think you're right. I think we're living in an age right now, uh, and particularly after Tua's injury, where players are sitting there saying to themselves, if there's a risk, if there's a a chance this could hurt me, I'm not taking it. And in all honesty, I can't blame them for feeling that way. I don't know what the answer is to try to remedy this kind of problem. Um, Here's what's kind of sad. They went to Auburn and really played their guts out. You know, they're sitting there. I'm watching the, the TV just like you are. And they're tied at 79 with about 40 seconds left. And I'm like, how in the world are they doing this? Well, Saban Lee played the best I've ever seen him play. Neesmith was really good. And the complimentary pieces were just good enough to give them a few points. Now with Neesmith gone, this is why I could never be a coach. Uh, Because, you know, I'm one of these up here, down there, mood swings, you know, higher than a kite, lower than whatever. And they looked like Saturday when they took the court that they were lower than fill in the blank. And, and they got beat by, you know, got beat up by a pretty mediocre A&M team. Yeah, and the thing that I've said before the season I was going to judge them on is are they developing players are they getting better? Are they playing hard? Those sorts of things. And I think that he was doing okay. I'd probably give him a B in that regard. I don't know that they were necessarily out scheming people and their in-game execution is a thing that a lot of people have issues with. And I think those are fair concerns. I think he even said, I probably could have done a better job against oh whoever it was, SMU, where they didn't have the play at the end of the game to get the ball to Neesmith. But It's almost like now, because you saw what happened. Teams just said, all right, all we've got to worry about now 
is keeping Saban Lee from doing anything and there's really nothing else to worry about. That's what people are going to do. Saban Lee is not going to have much of a chance to do anything from here on out. And the roster was limited as it is. I think from now, boring just something, and I don't know what could be worse than last year, just abysmal, just somehow worse than that maybe. I don't know how you can really grade him going forward. It's almost like to me, the moment this injury happened, you almost have to give him an incomplete on the season no matter what happens from here. Well, you've said it exactly the way it is. Um, you know, it's almost like a free pass, even though this is not what Jerry Stackhouse would have wanted. I have no idea how they make this work. Um, Saban Lee is going to find that he's got a lot of friends. Unfortunately, most of them are going to be on the other team because people are going to shift their attention to him and basically say, look, we're taking him out of the game. He is not going to beat us because the rest of this group simply isn't good enough. Um, that That's sort of the way this is going to go. I don't know how they make it work, but a year ago when Darius Garland got hurt, I thought their coaching staff went into what I'll call a little bit of a pity party. And I think that's the one thing that Jerry Stackhouse cannot do and I suspect yesterday at practice, he delivered the message that I don't want to hear the excuses. I want us to try to get better. You know, as a coaching staff, we'll do what we can to help you, but don't quit on us. I suspect you were right. I think they sort of get a pass for the A&M game for that reason. Like you said, you could see it on their faces. I think it got to him a little bit too. And I think it happened so quickly. It was like a 24-hour turnaround or less between when they got the news and had to play a game. So I think given the circumstances, I can excuse that. Now, the problem is that's one of the few games on their schedule that looked winnable. And, boy, I hate to say it, but I think 0-18 is something you could see happen again. I mean, maybe they get one or two, but I just don't see many more than that. Sure. I mean, it. It's very conceivable what you're putting out is screwed. A lot of discussion, you know, at that streak, if it were to get into the 30s and and upwards toward 40 of not being able to win, you're going to hear it. Just like Clemson basketball was hearing that they were 0 for 59 going into uh, Chapel Hill. You're just going to hear it. And, you know, it's going to have to motivate that staff to go out and get some players, uh, you know, to put an end to this. Yeah, situations like this get to be self-perpetuating. And again, this this is not his making. Nothing that is going on right now is of his making his responsibility. But you could start to visualize a situation where it's hard for him to dig out of it. And here's what I mean by that. I think there are two years minimum from being, excuse me, from being competitive again, unless Neesmith comes back, which I don't think, I don't know anything specifically on that situation, but common sense tells me it makes a lot of sense for him to go when his market value is the highest and he's getting mid first round grades, if you believe the mock draft. So there's that, and let's say you go into next season and. 
I don't know what the bar on SEC wins is, maybe three or four. So then you're looking at a coach who is, you know, maybe got five or six wins in SEC play after a couple of years. Again, the situation is not his fault. There's not a lot that he can do about it. The best fix is transfers, which he's got a couple of decent ones for next year, but they don't equal out losing Neesmith. If you get more, they've got to sit out a year. I'm looking at this and going, if I'm Jerry Stackhouse, you've got to realize you could be in a, in a pretty big hole because once you start losing that many games, people start losing sight of the reasons and they just want change for the sake of change. Uh, my concern for him is he could find himself in a hole that he can't really much dig out of through no fault of his own. And if I'm him and I'm thinking that, then um, you got to, boy, that, that begs a lot more questions that I won't get into, but I just don't see this as something that he or much of anybody can dig out for a couple of years. Well, you're dead on right. It's going to be hard to be a Vandy basketball fan over the next 24 months. There's not going to be a lot that will remind you of some of the glory years. And they simply are going to have to out-recruit the problem that exists now. And, you know, to me, their best selling point is to a, a young guy, come be the person that flips this program back in the right direction. You know, be Matt Freegy of the early 2000s. And, you know, can they make that? work can they get somebody that right now we don't see on the radar well i sure hope so yeah and his thing has been player development i think he miscalculated his roster i don't think it's as good as he thought it was and some of this is coach speak that coaches say well i think we can win with this i think we're better than people say yeah i get that to some extent that's true. You've got to put on a good face for your program, whether you believe it or not. But the thing was, he's kind of put his money where his mouth is, where he did not hire assistants with recruiting connections. Uh, his assistants, other than David Grace, aren't out there on the road that much. And the only fix for this is talent. I think he's got to do, I don't know if it's a 180 in terms of how he looks at this program, but the only fix for this is players who aren't here, and the only way to get those players who aren't here is to pound the pavement in recruiting. Well, and this may also be something that Malcolm Turner needs to sit down with him and say, listen, um, you know, here's the way I see it. What do you see, and do we maybe need to steer this in a little bit different direction? Because you're right. The number one priority now has to be recruiting. And the early returns aren't particularly good. It uh, doesn't mean they're horrible, but I don't think they're great. And for them to get out of this, you know, something's going to have to change. And also, there's going to have to be an understanding that over the next 24 months, they're not this is going to process. and four months from now, it needs to be better to X level, whatever X is. And that's probably where Malcolm Turner has to get involved a little. Well, the last staff, the criticism that I heard privately was too much like-mindedness. And you go back and that staff got a lot of criticism, right? It was very green. 
it was far less experienced than any other staff in the SEC. I wrote about it. That got a lot of attention to the issue. But you look at them individually. Okay, Jake Diebler, who everybody loved, who I think that they should have hired and made an effort to hire on this staff, and it may not have made a difference. Jake may have gone to Ohio State anyway. Uh, but Jake was very well regarded by everybody. Roger Powell got a job at Gonzaga and had some other feelers. Casey Shaw was sort of the outlier, and he was Bryce Drew's brother-in-law, and that got Bryce a lot of criticism. Uh, but you look at this staff, it's a lot greener than that one. I mean, you got Faraji Phillips, who was a high school coach. And again, not to say that he's a bad coach, but you pair him with um, Adam Mazzari, who has strictly been an NBA uh, developmental guy, never coached at the college level, I don't think. So right there, you got two of your three, and you got David Grace, who has been an assistant on several staffs, but he's in the recruiter. Uh, all of a sudden, again, you look at composition of staff, you've got a head coach who has dedicated himself more to being in the gym than on the road, uh, and that's where you got a, an issue with the composition that I expect that will get addressed in the offseason. Yeah, it's probably going to have to be addressed because they've got to – priority number one now has to be recruiting. And what goes on on the court obviously is vitally important, but you have to be realistic and know that without Nee Smith, they're not going to be – you know, from here to the end of the season, it, you know, it's not going to be a sequel to the, to the TV show Good Times. They're just not going to be a lot of good times. I wonder if they have a plug-in with Ricardo Patton to go out and be one of those three assistants because he's obviously recruited. I know he recruited David Harrison. He had some teams at Colorado that were pretty good. I was not close enough to that situation to know how well-regarded he was or was not as a recruiter, but I think if that's one that works, that may be something that he should consider going forward, maybe after the season as, as he ponders changes if he makes some. Yeah, look, I don't doubt that uh, Stackhouse is a smart guy, or at least he seems to be. Um, I'm sure that there's a lot of stuff rolling around in his head right now as to how do I make this better. He may, he may not be telling us or showing us what those things are, but I, I'm reasonably confident when they get in a room as a staff that all this stuff's being thrown out there. At least I hope so. Yeah, and... Back to the point, I, I think just that the way that they've set this up is kind of flawed. I think he's going to figure that out soon. That's not to say that they can't change course, but the question I have is he was very deliberate how he set this up. He wanted one guy to recruit and, and his guys to be focused more on development. Um, he hired Faraji Phillips because he wanted somebody with a connection to the AAU slash grassroots um seen of things so I think that he's just got to think how he wants to restructure this because if the answer is player development he just doesn't have enough players right now to develop for this to work so I'm anxious to see how in the offseason and again I think he's very bright I've enjoyed working with him I hope that it succeeds because I think from a media standpoint he's pretty good but I think it's pretty clear right now that uh, as we've kind of beaten the horse on the, the, the current way that it's set up is is probably not going to work yeah we just have to hope that that he sees this and i'm sure he does and um probably at the end of the season look for some restructuring and 
then it all becomes about recruiting. Well, and the other issue is, again, I, th- I think two years minimum of, of suffering to some degree before this gets turned around, what's left of the fan base once they get to that point? Because this will be three bad seasons in a row, um, another one to follow, I'm sure, and, and, and probably two more. Uh, that's the thing that's a little scary. Absolutely. Um, I think the Vanderbilt basketball fan is probably more loyal than the football fan. Just, but I'm a lot worried that Memorial Gym is going to become like, you know, the football stadium, and it's a real problem. And we're now in a society where people don't want to hear rebuild. Um, you know, I, I watched it. On the baseball side, the Braves were very open with their fan base around 2013 or 14 that, look, it's going to be a long haul to get it back. And they were able to survive, but it's not easy. Well, right now, the only thing that people can take pride in, and look, I'm I, with apologies to women's soccer, golf, tennis, which are all fine and excellent programs, but I just don't know many people that pay attention to those. The only program that people watch on a mainstream basis is baseball, which of course is about as good as you can get right now. The other two in combination are as low as I can ever remember Vanderbilt being. Um, I oh, do, yeah. I do yeah. wonder, even if they want to keep Derek Mason beyond next year, which I don't think is is out of the realm of possibility that he's coaching in 2021. At some point, does this thing sink so low that it seeps over into how they handle that coaching situation? Because, look, let, let's be honest. 2020 is not going to be a good season for football. Um, with morale as low as it is, you've at some point, and the facilities announcement will be one way to do it, but I wonder if the the combination of these two programs being so bad maybe pushes their hand on the football end a little bit after next season? Well, that's a great question because football and basketball are what drive most any athletic department. And you're right about one thing. As low as I thought it was during the years when I was Vandy's announcer, mid-90s, Basketball was at least at a point where it was upper NIT bordering on NCAA most every year. This isn't even close, and it's not going to be close for a while. Uh, the football back then was was not very good. Uh, offensively, they couldn't do anything. Uh, and certainly 2019 in football replicated that. It's a bad time. It, it's Listen, I, I laugh about it some, but it's hard being a Vandy fan. You you have to endure a lot more thick than thin. Is that the way you say that? I think it is. And the two things that give people hope when things go badly are a change being coaching change. In other words, you can you can maybe go three and nine, four and eight in a football season, but if people are convinced that this coaching staff that they're watching go through those seasons has the program on a better trajectory, then then they're going to find reasons to find hope. In other words, 
let's say, for example, let's say 2021, Derek Mason is a the coach. They go four and eight. Okay, people are going to still be pessimistic on the football program, and understandably so. If it's Will Healy or somebody like doing it, who's out there, who's getting the fans excited, people are going to say, okay, well, they went four and eight, but they didn't inherit his players. He can recruit, fill in the blank of whatever reasons for optimism. You can have the same record, but the way the people perceive the program is very different. The other way is recruiting. Um, and that's where Jerry has a bit of an issue is they've got one player in Miles Stute. I don't think the McBride kid is probably going to pan out. I need to dig in a little bit more on that. But so he's got one signee in his class. And so I think that's the other thing is is that if he can come in and get some players, say in November, and get a good recruiting class, then all of a sudden that's where he's got an outlet to get people optimistic again. Yeah, look, it, it looks like in November – He's got to have a monster class. He's got to have three or four that really turn the light on. Because right now, nothing else is getting anybody excited. They're not going to do enough winning between now and the end of the season. Uh, we know that. Um, it, you know, you don't have to be all that smart to look at them and say, oof, this is going to be tough. And that's where I think he's capable. I mean, you sit down with him and talk to him. He's likable. He's pretty intelligent. Um, he's a guy that I think seems to have his stuff together and a plan for things. It's not just haphazard. I think he is a guy that if he dedicates himself to recruiting and being out there and getting in front of kids, I do think that he has a message that can resonate. So I think this is a different conversation if he's got the personality of a rock, that's not the case. And I think that's where he has a chance. Uh, but they've got to get on that quickly because November's not that long away. And relationships key when it comes to recruiting. Amen. I mean, look, you, you've said it. You've, you've painted this picture beautifully. There's not a whole lot I can add um, other than to just sort of nod my head. And you all can't see that. So I'm nodding my head saying, what you're putting out there is exactly right. And with that, how about the mailbag around now? Yes, the lightning round, the <laughs> lightning rod mailbag. <laughs> and you have it sponsored, don't you? I do have it sponsored. And it is both a lightning round and sometimes a lightning rod. Let's hear it. All right, the mailbag is sponsored by Vanderbilt Fan. Josh Minton, an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood, looking for a one-stop shop to take care of your insurance needs. Josh has you covered. Call him today at 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Twitter at joshuamintonhq or at facebook.com forward slash jdmintonhq. He is my insurance agent. Give him a try. Tell him you heard about it here. Seymour83 says, will Vandy football ever play in an SEC championship game and or a college football playoff game? Not as it presently, um, you know, looks. Had Franklin stuck around, let's say that Franklin had decided that Nashville was the place and he wasn't leaving no matter what, could it have gotten there? Yeah. Uh, you'd have to have a lot of facility upgrades. Um, 
but you know, I, I get the question because we all watch this stuff. It's, it's terrific. Last night was, uh, awesome. If, uh, if not very long. And, you know, sometimes you say, what would that be like if, if you took LSU out and put Vandy in? And the answer is, at least in my lifetime, it's really not up for discussion. Well, and that is a great way you put it. I remember going to the College World Series. This was back in 1998. And just thinking, how wild would it be if Vanderbilt was here? Which, A, seemed a foreign concept, but B, now... <laughs> Not only are they are they there a lot, but they're expected to be there, and they're probably the preeminent program in college baseball. All to say, you get the right coach, you think you know the ceiling on a program, but a lot of times you really don't until that guy's in there. I, I would uh, I would say, for instance, that in basketball, over the years, they've had a much better shot of getting on a hot streak and going to a final four. Kevin had a team that lost to Georgetown in the sweet 16 that deserved to win that night. They got kind of hosed on a call. And at that point, you're one victory away from a final four. It's, it's more realistic. If you get everything in gear in basketball, even though we're talking about how low they have reached football's a little bit more takes more, uh, a will Purdue can springboard um, a program to heights that it takes more than that in football. Yeah, and I I didn't mean for my take to come off as simplistic as that, but what I mean is the conditions are conditions that Vanderbilt can change. And you had said, if you had said, okay, well, they've got this fantastic coach in baseball, you said, okay, you know, maybe every now and then they can win the SEC uh, maybe they can get lucky and go to Omaha. You would have said that's a ceiling that probably stretched it at the time. Point is, they broke through and went further beyond that. Um, the conditions are things that they'll have to change, but my point is you just never know until you change those conditions yourself, and that's where that strategic plan, I think, that comes out about a month from now is going to be very important. Yeah, I mean, look, Corbin has been a miracle worker, period. He's a miracle worker. Well, but what he where we now he's fought through all of the obstacles uh, that were there when he took the job. Uh, you know, McGugan Field at one point was basically three metal bleachers when I was in school, and uh, to see. What he and, and to appoint Roy Muburn in the fundraising world before that did to get Hawkins Field to something legit. I mean, it's, it's a truly remarkable story that none of us could have seen coming, even though I knew shortly after Corbin got here, I kept saying there's something different about this guy. I'm going back, I'm trying to figure out how many teams now have not played in that title game. I know Kentucky has never been there. Oh, for whatever reason, the the page I'm trying to look up that has all the participants haven't been there. Like, I mean, South Carolina's been there. Tennessee's been there. Uh, Missouri's has been Ole there. Has been there? Uh, I, don't I don't think, think so. I don't think Ole Miss has. State has been there. Yep. They're, uh, their team... 
uh, got beat by Tennessee. I don't remember if that was the T. Martin year or Peyton Manning year, but whatever. Um, it's a tough deal. The guy asked a great question. Yeah, and has Texas A&M been there? Don't think so. I can't remember the Manziel. It seems like they fell a little bit short. So, I mean, basically at this point, most of the teams in the league have been there at some point. So Yeah, I'm also thinking about Arkansas. Didn't Arkansas, Arkansas get there with there. McFadden? They might have. I just don't have any of it in front of me. Yeah, I'm going um, to look this up as we're speaking. My, my phone has failed me, so I'm going to have to go to the browser here. <laughs> <laughs> this is great podcasting. Well, it's at this point that I say, what's a browser? <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I have helped you with some of these oh, things. Oh, that's that thing you move the computer with. Right, yeah. right. Okay, here, here it is. Um, Arkansas has been, of course, Alabama's been, Auburn's been, Mississippi State has been, LSU has been, so that leaves Texas A&M and Ole Miss, correct? On the West. On the West. On the East, it's Vanderbilt and Kentucky, and I believe everybody else has been. So, this thing has been around since 92, and all but four of the 14 teams have been, including one in Missouri who has been here since, what, 13? Yeah. So, there you go. Um, Anyway, next question. Will Vandy men's basketball ever make the Final Four? Well, I think we kind of touched on it. Don't know that they will. Don't know that they won't. I think it's an easier road than football just simply because one stud can elevate you to a point of, of, you know, something way better. You know, people forget coach Newton, uh, you know, the, the early returns were really rough. And then all of a sudden he and that staff were able to get Will Purdue to an all American level. And you saw what happened. They, they made it to the sweet 16 and, you know, a lot of people will lump this in and say, well, it's a sweet 16 school because that's pretty much been the bar. But when you get there, who knows? I just know that it takes more in football to be able to say that than it does in basketball. Yeah. And, you know, again, what's this? Everybody would have said, I don't know, 20 years ago that Gonzaga's ceiling was the being the darling of March and, and getting in and giving somebody a scare every now and then, maybe winning a game as a 12 or 13. Nobody would have ever thought that program, which is in the West Coast Conference, could get to the Final Four. Now, I think, obviously, there's some limitations. I don't think a SWAC school or a MEAC school is, is going to go to the Final Four anytime soon. But point is, you get the right conditions and the right environment. I was in New Jersey for the Jeff Green game. I was courtside covering that. You blow the whistle in that spot. Vandy goes on to the Elite Eight. I watched that game that Sunday between Georgetown and North Carolina, the one that Vanderbilt would have been in. Carolina went on a scoring drought in the last half of the second half, and LS, or excuse me, Georgetown wound up winning that game, going to the Final Four, and I sat there and watched and said, wait, 
you know, if Vanderbilt had been here, there's no reason they couldn't have taken that too. So you're right. Once you get in that position, who knows? And I don't think that's unrealistic to say at some point Vanderbilt could make a Final Four. Vanderbilt traditionally is a better program than South Carolina, and yet the Gamecocks got there. But was it now three years ago? Absolutely. Here, here's the certainty. It's not going to happen this year. No, and it's not going to happen next year or probably the year after that. But again, um, it's going to be interesting to see how they can dig out of this. George, I'm going to let you go here in a second. Any more thoughts on anything we didn't get to, things with the the Titans, the Preds, uh, something along those lines? No, I'm I'm going to go back to the Neesmith injury. Um, It's it's so much why I couldn't be a coach. you know, you've got to have an even keel uh, to withstand this kind of stuff. You can't let your 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 guys see you, you know, dying on the vine through an injury like this. I mean, I don't know whether Stackhouse has ever faced anything like this in coaching. Um, I, you know, I have not kept up a lot with the G League over the years, uh, but I know this: the words "baptism by fire." He's he's about to experience it. You know, I had not considered this till someone had posted on our board, but okay, two years in a row losing your superstar, future NBA guy. Um, of course, last year with Garland, this year Neesmith. The year before, Matthew Fisher Davis was not having a great year, but he gets hurt, so they lose their leading returning scorer and a preseason All-SEC guy. The year before that, you had Luke Cornett hurt for a good bit of the year. So this is four years in a row that they've got the guy that everybody figured was probably going to be their best player. And I would say in the Fisher-Davis situation, Jeff Roberson ended up hands down being their best player. But Fisher-Davis was a key part. I wonder how many programs have had those kind of losses four years running. Yeah, I mean, it's part of the equation. They haven't been very lucky. Um, and, And I guess you just leave it at that. They haven't been very lucky. George, I appreciate you joining us today. Tell people about your show, where they can find it, and where they can find you on Twitter. Yeah, I actually am on Twitter, uh, George Plaster TN. Getting to the point where I'm close to 2,000 followers. So if some of you all would would get in there and follow me, we might get to 2,000 sometime in this calendar year. Um, I'm on uh, 560 WNSR. Um, 560 on the AM dial, 95.9 on FM, and I'm on 2 to 4 Monday through Friday, and Chris Lee will be on my show tomorrow. George, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Enjoyed it as always. He is George Plaster. I'm Chris Lee, host of the Vandy Sports Podcast. This will be the first of several episodes this week. Thank you for listening, and we'll check back with you again later in the week.